Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful this morning that you have blessed us with your presence. Lord, I am so thankful that you have done for me what I cannot do for myself. Lord, we praise you this morning for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving yourself for us. Lord, we, may we never take for granted the price that's been paid for our salvation. Lord, I want to thank you today for allowing me to stand before these people with an open Bible, with your truth, because we know it's truth that sets us free by your power. Help us, Lord, today to share what your word says. Lord, not in what I can do in my ability, but by your power, Holy Spirit, have your way and your will in these services. I pray that men and women, boys and girls be saved, that addictions be broken, that families be healed. Lord, we're asking that you do what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name, we do pray and for your sake. Amen and amen. Wow, what a powerful time of worship. I, I want to tell you, folks, excuse me, um, God is more than a feeling. Can you say amen to that? I hear a lot of people talking about getting goosebumps. and Well, maybe the Lord does sometimes give us goosebumps. Um, I've also gotten goosebumps at a ball game before, but I don't think it was Jesus giving them to me. <laughs> Um, so uh, from time to time, maybe we do get goosebumps, but I, don't, I just want you to know that God is more than a feeling. He is our Heavenly Father who loves us, who is more real than even um, our closest friend, amen, even our closest family member. I, I want you to know that God is more than a feeling, but we certainly do need to recognize and realize God can be felt. And I'm thankful that when we're in the presence of God, we can feel Him here with us. Can you say amen? And that's what we have experienced this morning. And man, that's powerful. That's special. And uh, we ought to praise Him for it. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians 9. This morning we are going to continue talking about conquering in Christ and what that means for us. First of all, let me say this. If you are blood-bought, if you've been born again, if you're a child of God who has placed your faith in Jesus, if, if you can say that's true of yourself today, I want you to know you are more than a conqueror through Him that loved you. Amen? How many of you believe this morning that um, the star-breathing sovereign God of the universe is your heavenly Father if you've placed your faith in Jesus? Yeah, that's us. That's the blood bulb. That's the born again. That's the ones who have been adopted into the family of God himself. And that's such an amazing thing. Every time I think about that, it still just blows my mind. I still have not got over the fact that God considers me his son. And if you're here and you've placed your faith in Jesus, God considers you his son or his daughter, according to Romans 8.15. We have received adoption into God's family. That's not the only place the scripture teaches that. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, Peter says, We are now a royal priesthood set apart for the purposes of God. Think about that just a minute. You are considered royalty. Why? Because you are the king's kids. You are a part of the royal family. God is your father. And that's how he sees you as his child. If you've placed your faith in Jesus. So we are more than conquerors in Christ. I want you to know the child of God should never have a defeatist mentality. But I have to say to you 
I, I see a lot of Christians today, those who are professing Jesus, who are walking around defeated. Man, you, you can tell they're defeated by how they talk. A lot of times you see it on the look on their face. How many of you understand this morning, you are not defeated if you are in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You have victory. Everybody say victory. If you're a child of God, you have victory in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. So I want you to understand and know you are not defeated. Now you would, uh, to hear people talk a lot of times, uh, that's not what you hear. Man, a lot of people, you, you uh, talk to them and say, how you doing? And if you ask that question, you better be ready to stick around for a little while. Because they're going to tell you everything that's been wrong for the last six years. Now, I want to make very clear to you, listen. I, in no way do I diminish anybody's problems because we all have them. And if it's a problem for you, it concerns God. Amen? Because again, He is your loving Heavenly Father. But I'm just trying to let you know, not everything's all bad. Amen? You don't have to be negative about everything in your life. Especially if you're a child of God. Why? Because again, you have victory. I mean, I, I've talked to these brothers and sisters in Christ before and say, how you doing? They say, oh, brothers, well, you say, you ain't going to believe what I've been going through. I mean, last Tuesday night, I tore my third big toenail off into the quick and it's been bothering me all week and I just don't think I'm going to be able to make it and to top it all off Thursday evening guess what happened my wife she burned the cornbread so bad we couldn't even eat it for supper and had to feed it to the dogs and I've just had a terrible week I've been suffering for Jesus all week you ever been around those folks everything's wrong ain't nothing right they're walking around with this mentality of defeat and it's affecting everything and everybody around them. My goodness. We've got to remember. You are in Jesus. He is still on the throne. And even in the midst of your greatest circumstances, I want you to know you can still walk in joy. You can still walk in peace. You can still fulfill your purpose. It's amazing. When you get a hold of what God says, I, it changes everything. Take your Bibles. You can keep your place there in 1 Corinthians. We'll get back there in just a moment. But I want to flip over to Philippians chapter number 1. Now, Philippians is what's called a prison epistle. It's one of four. You had the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon that are all prison epistles. Now, that just, they're called that for the simple fact that they were written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Um, now, I want you to think about something, just to give you a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul was imprisoned not because he had done something wrong. I mean, it wasn't because he had killed somebody or stole something or broken some law somewhere. He was imprisoned for doing what was right. He was preaching the gospel. He had been in prison for just doing what the Lord had called him to do. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but it's been my experience. I can handle it a lot better if I get punished for something I've done and I've actually done something wrong. If I've done something wrong, well, I could, I'll say, well, you know what? Hey, man, that's on me. That's my bad. I did it. I deserve the punishment. Um, you know, I'm just going to take what comes. But when I haven't done something wrong, when I've actually been doing what's right, and then I get punished, then that's a whole different mindset that, uh, that I have. That's hard for me to take. Now, listen, what's happened to the Apostle Paul, he's been punished for doing what's right. He's been preaching the good news. And for that, and that alone, 
he's been imprisoned. And so he writes in Philippians 1.6. Now, if that's true of the Apostle Paul, do you think it would be um, uh, a stretch to say that he might have a defeatist mentality? He's been imprisoned for what he's doing right, not what he's doing wrong. He's been wrongfully accused and has now had his freedom taken away from him. Now he is in chains. He's got shackles around his wrists and around his feet. Uh, and all because he's doing what's right. If anybody has cause to have a defeatist mentality, to uh, walk around defeated and look defeated and talk defeated, it's the Apostle Paul. But now listen to what he says. He's a hero of mine. That's what he says in Philippians 1.6. This is amazing. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Now, does that sound like a man that's defeated? You know what he's saying? I am confident that no matter what you might face, the same one who saves you keeps you saved, and he will continue to perform his good work in you and through you until the Lord calls you home. That's a man that's walking in victory even though he's in the shackles. That's a man who's walking in victory even though he's been wrongfully accused. That's a man who's walking in victory even though he's, though he's going through terrible hardships in this life. <laughs> he has victory in Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And he's walking in that victory. Look down at verse 12. This is even better. But I would, I, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Let me break that down for you. Paul says, you know what? Don't you feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't regret what's happened because what's happened to me, even though I've been wrongfully accused, even though I've lost my freedom, even though I'm sitting here in these shackles, even though all that's happened to me, all of it has fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm in these shackles, but I'm getting to preach Jesus. I'm in the prison. I've lost my freedom, but I'm telling others how they can truly be set free. I've been getting all this bad stuff might have happened physically to me, but spiritually I'm still fulfilling God's purpose in this life. And he says, don't you worry about me. Don't you feel sorry for me. Because God is still at work in my life. Wow. This is a brother who's walking in victory in spite of his circumstance. Are you getting a hold of this? Now why? How is he doing this? Well, how do we walk in victory? How do we uh, realize in its fullness that we are more than conquerors? Well, I'll tell you how. We, saw, we started it last week. We said, first of all, we've got to have right thinking. When you get a, the, the right attitude, how many of you know you'll have the right action? If you believe that, say amen today. Boy, are y'all with me this morning? If you're with me, everybody do this. Glad to hear it. Because I'm beginning to wonder. Listen to me. With right thinking or a right attitude, you have a right action. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 23 and 7 that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So as we continually transform our mind, or be transformed, excuse me, by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12, 2, Paul says that. He says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Where do you find what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God? Well, you find it according to God's truth. So what's he saying? When you get a hold of God's truth or God's word and you start transforming your mind to think like God's word says, can you say amen to that? Amen. When you start applying this, 
then guess what it's going to do? It's going to change your attitude. You'll have a right attitude, therefore you'll have a right action. But it all starts with how you think. Amen. You've got to get a hold of that. Um, one thing that has truly blessed my soul this week is uh, my little girl, Ellie Grace. She has been learning Bible scripture for the last three weeks now. She started uh, two or three weeks ago with my wife in her homeschool sessions during the day. Brandy uh, taught her the Lord's Prayer. She memorized the Lord's Prayer one week. And man, she'd come on every day I'd come in. She'd recite to me more of what she had learned. And that was that, that just blesses my soul as her father and as her pastor. And then uh, last week, um, her Sunday school class and our Wednesday night class, she was memorizing um, another Bible verse. It was Psalm 66, 16. Um, and, and so I love that because I got to work with her all week. And, um, and Psalm 66, 16, man, what a powerful, powerful verse. It, it talks about, um, come and listen, all who fear God, and I will tell you. The good things he's done for me. Amen. And boy, that blessed my soul because I got a hold of it. There's a lot of good things God's done for me. And it's like the psalmist, I need to let people know that. I need to be bragging on the Lord. I need to be telling others what Jesus has done in my life. That really changed my heart. And then this past week, she was learning another one. It was John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish or shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Wow. Now when you've got a six-year-old quoting that back to you all week, I felt like shouting. And, and it was amazing. I'd be, I'd be uh, um, come home in the evenings and we'd work on it, you know, and, and throughout the day if I was talking to her mama on the phone, she'd get on the phone and she'd say, Dad, let's do it. And I'd say, all right, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, say, whosoever believes in him, shall not perish, shall not perish, but have everlasting life, but have everlasting life. And we'd go through the whole thing. We'd do that daily and I'd come home in the evenings and we'd do it. Last night she knew she was going to be saying it for Sunday school this morning. So at about 10 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock last night, she said, hey, Dad. I said, what? She was doing John 3, 17. She said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. That was about 9 o'clock. I said, man, fantastic, baby. Good job. I'm so proud of you. About 10 o'clock. Hey, Dad, listen, let, let me make sure I got it it's right. For God said, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him uh, might, might be saved. And I said, man, fantastic. Great, baby. About 11 o'clock last night, I was still watching football. Hey, Dad, can I, do I still have it right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. I said, yeah, baby, you got it. Fantastic, man. You going to do it tomorrow. Six o'clock this morning, she starts pecking on my shoulder. Hey, dad. 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 Hey, dad. Hey, dad. Dad. Shaking me. Dad. Grabbing my eyes. Picking them open. Dad. You might as well open your eyes and wake up because I ain't going to quit. She just keep on and on. Dad, 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 dad. Finally, I wake up. What, baby? What do you want? For God did not send his son to the world to get in the world, but the world through him might be saved. Praise God. Thank you. Go back to sleep. Now, why is that so powerful? Well, look with me. I'll get back to 1 Corinthians in just a minute. Go, go. I've got something on my heart this morning. Look, go with me to John 16. Excuse me, John 14. And let me read to you something the Bible says that's going to blow your mind. John 14. 
Look at verse number 26. Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit coming after he has went back to his Father. He says this, But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things, watch this now, to your remembrance. Watch what he says. Whatsoever I have said to you. Now, how many of you know the Holy Spirit could not bring back to the remembrance of the disciples, but only what they had previously heard of Jesus? Jesus said he's going to teach you what I've been telling you. Now, the only way that the Holy Spirit could bring back to the remembrance of the disciples, um, the word remembrance, you know, it actually means you're going to bring back what's previously been taught, or what you've previously learned. And so he could not bring it back to remembrance to the disciples unless they had heard the, the words of Jesus. Now, I want you to know something. That's true for us to a degree. The Holy Spirit could not bring back the words of the Lord Jesus or the Word of God unless we first of all heard, studied, or read the words of God. Can you say amen? Now, why does that excite me so much for my little girl? See, she ain't got saved yet. She's learning. She's starting to question why she needs to be saved, what salvation is all about. So I just, I'm just keeping on praying that God's going to save her, but she ain't got saved yet. Yet. That's coming, praise God. I'm claiming that in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? And I'm praying for that, but it, ain't, it has not come yet. But, but now let me tell you this. When she starts getting a hold of this truth that she's getting a hold of, that God did love the world so much he gave his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, and God didn't come to condemn us, but he came to save us. Now because she's getting that into her mind, there'll be a time in the future when the Holy Spirit starts convicting her little heart, showing her how much she needs Jesus, and all that's going to become real to her. Can you say amen? He's going to start bringing back remembrance of what's already been taught. And that's powerful. The same thing works for you. See, a lot of you are sitting around daily in your quiet time and you're reading stuff and it don't feel like heaven's just coming down and meeting with you. But you just keep reading. You're, you're staying faithful to what God told you to do. You're being a good student of the Word of God. Let me tell you what will happen in a month or two, maybe a week or two, maybe a year or two. You'll start uh, one day going through something and automatically God will bring back to remembrance something you studied two or three weeks ago. Now, at that time when you studied, it didn't mean much to you. But boy, when you needed it and the Holy Spirit brought it back, that's going to blow your mind. He said, brother, how does that work? Well, I don't know how it works, but I've seen it happen in my life. Amen? I've seen God bring stuff back, and I thought, wow, where did that come from? Then I get to thinking, well, that's just what I read here the other day. The same works for us. But that can only happen if you're being good students of the Word of God. He'll bring back to remembrance the words of the Lord Jesus. This is God's word. Amen. So it's right thinking, right attitudes that produces right actions. When you have the right attitude about God and about yourself, it'll produce the right actions toward God and by yourself. When you have right attitudes about your brothers and sisters in Christ, then are to produce right actions that they are your brothers and sisters in Christ and you are to treat them as such. When you have right attitudes about what God has called you to do, 
that it will change what you do on a day-to-day basis to fulfill His purpose. But it starts with that right attitude that produces those right actions. But that's not all. To truly walk in victory, not only, folks, do you have to think right, but you've got to train right. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians there in chapter 9, and let's look down at verse number 24. And I've got three things that I'm going to go through very quickly this morning. You just hang with me. Starting with verse number 24. The Apostle Paul uses the analogy here. He actually makes two analogies between, first of all, a race and the Christian life and then a fight in the Christian life. We're going to look at those today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 24. First of all, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain. The first thing that we need to see is we must run with purpose or run that you might receive. Isn't that what he says? Verse number 24, he says, you need to be running this race like you want to win. Like you want to win the prize. Folks, let me tell you what bothers me as much as anything else as a pastor. When I see people treat Jesus like fire insurance. When I see people treat Jesus as nothing more than a get out of hell free card. People trusting Christ and they're Uh, say they've trusted in Jesus and been born again and they profess Christ as Savior, but but they're not living for Jesus. All they're concerned about is getting out of hell. Now let me say this to you. Listen, if you've truly been born again, placed your faith in Christ, repented of your sins, I want you to know this. You have missed hell and gained heaven by God's grace. And for that you ought to be thankful. But I'm going to tell you folks, The the, the Christian life, the Christian walk, this race, this fight that the Apostle Paul is talking to us about is much more than just getting out of hell. And a lot of people are still walking in defeat because, listen, they're not treating Jesus as a lifelong, or the relationship with Jesus as a lifelong commitment. They treat it like fire insurance. I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, so now I'll just go out and do whatever else I want to do. Now, I want to say something to you. Listen to me very carefully. If if that's your view of grace, I would strongly urge you to check and make sure you've actually been born again. I would strongly urge you to do that. The Bible tells us that we ought to take account of ourselves. Amen? We ought to take inventory in our own lives and make sure that we are in the faith. If that's your view of your salvation, that it's just fire insurance, then, then I would strongly urge you to take an account of your own life and where you're at with the Lord. See, I want you to know Jesus is more than just a get-out-of-hell get free card. Listen, Jesus is my good shepherd. He leadeth me beside the still waters. The still waters are the places that are free from hurt. The still waters are the places that are free of harm. And it's my good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, who is at work in my life daily, leading me beside the peaceful waters, the still waters. He brings peace to my soul, peace that I I can live with and peace that I can die with. Can you say amen? Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that I can talk to about anything or anybody. 
my partner in life, my partner in the ministry, my partner in everything is my wife. I, physically speaking, she's my best friend in this world. So thankful for her. After my salvation, the greatest gift God has given me has been a godly spouse. A wife who loves Jesus and therefore knows how to love me and my babies. I'm telling you, I love that woman. But you know what? There are some things that I can't even talk to her about. She's not going to understand. I've got a different calling. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm different than she is as far as personality goes, as far as likes and dislikes go. So there's a lot of things that I struggle with that I can't even talk to her about, even though we are so close. But I'll tell you this. I can talk to the friend that sticks closer than a brother about anything. And I come to him daily and tell him what I need and tell him what I'm struggling with and tell him how I'm hurting. I talk to him about you. And I just tell him, Lord, I can't help him in this. I, I don't know what I can do to make it better, but I know that you are able. Why? Because he's that friend. He's more than just a prayer we prayed 50 years ago. He's my ever-present help in a time of need. That's my Jesus. And so I run this race that I'm running so that I might please Him. He's the Savior of my soul. He's the one who shed His blood for me. And if there's one person that I want to please in this life, it's Him. And if that's not your view of Jesus, do you really know Jesus? It's got to be real to you. Your purpose in running this race it's not to take part, but to win. To receive the crown. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you you earn your salvation. I'm telling you if you're truly saved, you're going to purpose in your life to please God daily. And he tells us two ways to do it. First of all, he says, run that you may um, obtain. And, and, and we've talked a lot about that, and I'm not going to stay here long. But I want you to know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, he, he says that um, we will one day as believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know that, right? I mean, I want you to know that one day you will stand before the one whose, hand, whose wrist and feet were pierced for you. You will stand before the one who took the cat of nine tails for you. You will stand before the one who died on that cross for you. You're going to stand before the one who's done more for you than you can ever imagine. You'll stand before the one who's helped you daily as a protector and a provider. You'll stand before the one who has been your good shepherd. You'll stand before the one who never leaves you and never forsakes you. Now when I stand before him, I don't want to be ashamed at what I've done while I'm here. How about you? It's a serious thing. We cannot wait for tomorrow to do for Jesus what needs doing today. Partial obedience in the life of a believer is absolute disobedience. 
He said, will one day stand before him, so run that you may obtain. I want to hear the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 25, 21, when he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm going to be honest with you. I love you with all my heart, church. I'm thankful I'm your pastor. I want to be here for you in any way I can. But I'm not running this race to please you. I'm not trying to obtain your well done. I'm trying to obtain his. That means more to me than anything. Amen? And now let me say something to you. You're not running to please anyone else either. Your standard is not what someone else has done or is doing. Your standard is Jesus. Your standard is what he wants from you. Don't judge yourself by what somebody else is or is not. You're not running their race. You're running your race. Somebody needed that. So many times we try to compare and, and make carbon copies of other people. No! Jesus saved you to be you full of Him. You be, you be you full of Jesus and He'll make all the difference. You'll run your race. And you'll run so that you might obtain, so that you might win. But then he also says something else. He says in verse 24, run all of it. He said those who run in a race, run all. You don't just run part of your race. You don't start the race well. For And listen to me now. If you only start the race well, and you don't finish well, then guess what? You're not going to win. Amen? So run that you might win. Start well, finish well. He, he, the Apostle Paul asked the, the, the uh, church at Galatia, he asked them this. He said, who did hinder you because you were running so well? And I see this happen so many times. You get somebody who trusts in Jesus, they're born again, and man, they're fired up for the Lord, and they're serving the Lord, and, and, and that happens for a short time. They start that race, and they're sprinting out of the blocks. But before long, life happens. And problems and discouragements and maybe the, the enemy shoots those fiery darts of doubt into their mind. And before long, what happens? They begin to slow down in their running. And I've seen many of them stop in their running. You can't do that. You started well, continue to finish well. Run with all you've got. Can't run some of the race. Run all the race. And guess what? If you've still got breath in your lungs, you're still running. Amen? There is no retirement in the service of the Lord. If you're here, you're here for a reason. Run your race. Amen? So we run so that we might obtain. We run well. We run with purpose. But then he says something else. He says in verse 25 that, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, and they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, watch this, an incorruptible. And so he says they're running not just with uh, purpose, but they're also running with passion. They're temperate in everything. They're using self-control. They're, they're, they're doing what needs to be done so that they might be the best at running. They're passionate about what they're doing. And oh, if there's ever been a time that we need passionate people running in this race, it's now. 
Because I'm telling you, now like never before, people are searching for answers. I'm telling you, all over this world, we have the answer. And we must be willing to give it to those who are seeking truth. we got to run with passion. We run with passion. We, uh, the Bible says run with temperance, self-control, or self-restraint. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this for you. About, I don't know, two years ago, my son, we were one day we were driving through town, and he saw this sign out in front of one of our local gyms in town, and it said uh, jiu-jitsu and kickboxing. And me and him had been watching for a long time um, the uh, UFC fighting championships, and we love that stuff. We watch it pretty much everyone that comes on, something we do together. And... Um, so he saw that and he said, Dad, I want to try that. And I said, all right, I'll call and see. So I called him up and talked with the man who was teaching the class. And he said, well, we really don't have a kid's class, but if you want to bring him in, we'll let him see if he likes it. And just come Saturday. So he gave me a time. I met him Saturday and, uh, and, and dropped him off, left him for about an hour and come back. So he gets in the car after about an hour. Dad, I loved it, man. He was fired up. You know? so I said, all right, well, we'll see what, how it goes. And, so I talked with the owner of the gym, and he said, man, he done good that first day. Let's, let's give him a few more weeks before we really get committed, and you start buying all the stuff you need. He said, let's, uh, let's see how he likes it. And I said, okay. So with the next two weeks I took him, he's still liking it. And so after about a month, I guess, we decided to you know, get in there with that thing and let him try it, and he's in there working out and doing well. And, um, and, and so one Saturday I come to drop him off, and the instructor of the class, great guy, he, he stops me and said, man, have you ever tried anything like this? I said, no, not really. He said, well, how about trying it today? And I said, I don't know about that, man. He said, no, come on in. It'll be fun. He said, I promise you, you're going to like it. So I get in there, man. We start training, and I instantly fell in love. I mean, I, I enjoy it. Um, my wife said it's become an addiction more than anything else, and I, I would say it probably is. Uh, I love it. Every chance I get to train, I try to train. I became passionate about it. And so then, you know, I trained there for about six, eight months, and um, I found out that there was a, uh, a tournament in Nashville. That was back like in March. And so some of the guys that were there, they were like, hey, man, you want to go and try this? I said, yeah, I think we'll, we'll try it, you know. So I start training for that thing. And, I, and that's kind of the same thing that he's talking about here. There was a race that needed to be run, and we were striving for a temporary crown. And so for the next three months, man, I was eating right, training four days a week, you know, um, lifting every day, trying to get ready for this one thing. And, and I, was, I was very temperate even. You know, I ate what I was supposed to eat. I, I did what I was supposed to do. I did, I thought all that I could do to get myself ready for when I got to Nashville and, and, and competed in this thing. Now, by the grace of God, things worked out, went well. But I want to tell you this, listen. If it had not been for temperance, if it had not been for doing what was needed when it was needed doing or not doing what you weren't supposed to do, it wouldn't have worked out well. And I think that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul is talking about. In the Christian life, in the Christian walk, you've got to be passionate about what you're doing to the point that it changes every decision and choice you make. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to purpose that in my heart. I'm not going to do anything that would hinder me from running the best race I can run or, the, or fighting the best fight I can fight. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the illustration. That's the point. 
That's for all of us in this Christian walk. And you know what he says here? He says, you know what? We do it, or, or those who are training to run the race, they're doing it to obtain a temporary crown, a corruptible crown. I found that to be true too. I was so excited about going and competing in that tournament, and I wanted that medal so bad, man. I came home with two with them, and now I don't even know where they are. Last time I seen them, my daughter had them in her room. That's a temporary thing. It just really don't mean that much. But I'll tell you this. What you do for the cause of Christ will echo throughout all eternity. How you serve, how you love, how you encounter, I'm telling you, it means something. You're teaching them babies in that Sunday school class and you're faithful to it, it means something. Hey, you're being the father that God's called you to be in your home, it means something. You're being a godly mama leading your kids to Jesus. It means something. You're giving your tithes like you're supposed to give your tithes and praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to tell you, it means something. And those things help you to obtain an incorruptible crown. We get to heaven by faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus alone saves you and gets you to heaven. What you do by the power of God in this life helps you to obtain the crowns that we can all receive. Be passionate about the race you're running. Listen to me, something else though. Look at verse number 26. I therefore so run, not so as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air. But verse 27 says, but I keep under my body and bring it under subjection. Now, not only should we run with purpose and with passion, but we also ought to run with perseverance. Now, why do I say that? Because you're still in this flesh. Amen? And, the, and just like he says here, we've got to bring our body or our flesh under subjection. That means we tell, uh, we all have this sinful nature, that flesh that we were born with. Can you say amen? Now, when we got saved, we didn't lose that sinful nature, but we did gain the spirit man, the spirit nature, the Holy Spirit that now indwells us as believers. And the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 6 that we are to reckon ourselves dead to the flesh. We're to reckon ourselves dead to that old nature. The nature that wants us to displease God. And he says we're to walk in the newness of life, in the spirit. Can you say amen? That's amazing. But I want to tell you something. It's going to take perseverance to do that. Because as long as you're in this flesh, this flesh... That sinful nature that you have will always desire that that displeases God. That's why you're tempted like you're tempted. That's why we all struggle like we all struggle, and we all struggle, don't we? Every one of us. My struggle may be different from yours. Yours is different from mine, but we all struggle simply because of that old nature. So the Apostle Paul says what you've got to do. You tell the flesh what to do. It don't tell you. We do what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. He says we ought to take every thought captive. I love that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, verse 5. Take every thought captive that you have. How many of you have been sitting around sometime and out of the blue something pops in your mind that you know you shouldn't be thinking about? That ever happened to you? That happens to me too. It happens to all of us. But now let me say this to you. Listen. You have control over what you think. 
And so we take that thought captive as a child of God and we transform ourselves by renewing our mind. You getting a hold of me? You seeing that? Now then, Dr. Jeremiah says it like this. I love it. I think he puts it as good as anybody. He says that to win the battle that's in our minds, we cannot help a thought from popping in our head. We can't help that. That's going to happen to all of us. That's an attack of the enemy, by the way. He said we can't help that any more than we can help the birds flying around our head. He said, but what we can all do is keep those birds from making a nest in our hair. We don't have to dwell on things we know are displeasing unto God. For the longer we dwell on them, guess what's going to happen? It'll change our attitude and thereby change our action. We run with purpose. We need to be running with passion. And let's persevere. Folks, I'm telling you, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in what you're doing for Jesus how you're loving people and the life that you're living day by day. Everybody stand together. need the Lord in any way today you come if you need to be saved well God's grace is sufficient for you the same Jesus who saved me can and will save you if you need him today I invite you to trust him repent of your sins turn from your old way and turn toward Christ I want to show you how to do that by the word of God you come this morning if, if that's you if you've if you already been saved how are you running your race are you running to win? Are you running with purpose? Are you passionate about pleasing God above everything else? Now, I'm not, I don't want to displease any of my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I want you to know this. Our main goal has to be to please Jesus. Your main goal is not to please your wife or your kids or anybody else. You please Jesus, and I promise you, that will be the greatest blessing for your wife, for your kids, for your family, for your husband, for your friends, for everybody around you. For how you follow Christ not only affects you but those around you. I'm telling you, it makes a difference. So if you're not running the race you need to run, guess what? The same grace that saved you, child of God, is the same grace that keeps you saved. Amen. Same grace that we all need day by day. So what I invite you to do is just come say, Lord, I blew it in this area. I did this and I didn't do that. And Lord, I ask you to help me. These altars are open for you as well. See, I think it's time we just get real with Jesus. Right where we are. Wherever you are. You want to come pray for a lost loved one, lost family member? You want to come pray for a problem in your life? You do have that friend that sticks closer than a brother if you've been born again today. Take advantage of it. Talk to him. You be submissive to the will of God this morning. Don't wait. You come. Let me ask you this. You say, Brother Israel, 
Um, I've got family members that need Jesus. Would you help me pray for them? Raise your hand. God knows that person that's on your heart this morning. We're going to pray that God does a work that only he can do. You may be here and you say, Brothers, I need to be saved. And if that's the case, you raise your hand. Great. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, I am so thankful you hear our prayers when we pray to you. I'm so thankful this morning you're able by your power to do all things. And Lord, there are people here today that are struggling with areas in their lives. And Lord, they need you, Holy Spirit, by your power to give them victory. And I'm asking right now that you do just that. You bring deliverance, you bring healing. And I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you do what only you are capable of. Lord, there are some here who has lost friends and family members who need to be born again. You know what's on the heart of each and every person in this place. And I ask you now in Jesus' mighty name that you convict those hearts and bring them unto yourself just like you did me. Lord, there may be some here who've not yet born, been born again themselves. Maybe they're unsure of their salvation. Today, would you convict them, Holy Spirit, and let them know their great need for a Savior. Lord, we're trusting that you do what only you can because we can't do it. So, Lord, we're giving it to you. You tell us to cast our care upon you for you care for us. And, Lord, that's what we're going to do today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Now.